Hello, and welcome to the On-Premise IT Roundtable, a podcast brought to you by Gestalt IT. We are the only podcast that dares to be both on topic and on location. Each time we come to you, we bring you the opinions and thoughts of IT luminaries across a variety of different premises. Today's premise is that traditional offices will go away in the next five to 10 years. I'd like to take a moment to introduce our panelists before we get started. Hello, my name is Al Rashid. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Al underscore Rashid. Ed Casey on Twitter at Wax underscore Tracks. Pete Welcher at PJ Welcher, W-E-L-C-H-E-R. All right, gentlemen, thank you for joining us today. So let's get back to this premise. It's exciting. Uh, This is actually something that Pete brought up. Telecommuting is a thing now. It used to be the hot topic back in the 90s, and now remote workers are pretty much everywhere. Uh, but yet we still have this idea behind offices. You know, the open plan office is a huge disaster, and why do we even need to pay to keep the lights on if everybody wants to work from home? So the premise is, is that traditional offices are going to be dead in five to ten years because technology will allow us to pretty much work from anywhere. Since it's my idea, I completely agree with it. Um, I wanted to, produ- I thought maybe a good place to start would be to produce some evidence. Okay. And so I'm going to name names. I've been watching Cisco over the years. Mm-hmm. And at one point, their real estate arm got very good at acquiring office space. Mm-hmm. And then they started doing hoteling. And there were these ghost hotels, buildings full of desks that weren't getting used. Mm-hmm. And then it shrank and went back the other way. And I think some of those drivers are getting, are maybe accelerating as we go forward, finding talent. You have to take people kind of where they are. People move between jobs. They don't want to have to relocate, family commitments, that kind of thing. And so talent's distributed. Um, I think Amazon just ran into that problem. They're talking about dual HQs now Mm -hmm. because they're worried about the density of talent. And one perspective is, well, maybe that's the wrong approach because they're trying to find concentrated talent, and that precludes people from living in inexpensive housing, rural areas, whatever. Very good. So to counter that premise, mm-hmm. that, that support, uh, one of the things we actually see from a lot of the large social media companies like Facebook and well, Google, is mm-hmm. that if you take a job with someone like Facebook, you have to move to Silicon Valley. You are not allowed to work remotely. That's a big deal for them. They want you in the office. And in order to, to, to facilitate that, they give you meals and transportation and housing assistance and all these other things because they want you here. How do you combat that? That's a very good question. And uh, the whole, there's this whole theory that you get innovation when people get together and have random interactions. Seen it myself, so I believe in it. Is it worth the price? Good question. Don't know. Um, I do know of uh, one firm in Seattle where they move people's desks, uh, their seat assignments, uh, and complete, there are no departments, they're deliberately mixing people throughout the entire organization just to get people to network with other people and random associations, and the guy I know there said it really works. Okay, well, Jed, I'm going to bring up a good point here because this is something I had to deal with when I worked in a traditional office. Um, what happens when you get interrupted? I, I got to the point where I would just I would wear headphones over my ears and I would be like, go away because I'm busy working. How do you deal with that in an office environment where I want to get some stuff done and I don't want to talk to any of you people? Yes, uh, personally, I experience that frequently. <laughs> and, um, uh, headphones, definitely. But, um, and that, that leads to the, de- the desire to work remotely because you can get more done. But at the same time, um, 
maybe this is more region specific, but mm -hmm. in general, um, I, I don't see it happening within five or even 10 years because businesses are generally slow to change. They have established business processes, and then in this case, they'll have uh, you know various you know, real estate holdings on top of that that may take more than 10 years to, to, to pay for themselves. Now, Al, you had some thoughts? He's, he's got a good point. I think it depends on the business, the type of business that they do. Mm -hmm. um, there is a tendency to, you know, just kind of put it off, put it off. Um, but to your, going back to your point about uh, being dis disrupted at work, uh, I find that very often. And as you guys discussed, <laughs> I have to put on headphones. In the occasion that I do work from home, and it's very rare, I'm more productive when I'm working from Absolutely. home. I'll put an extra time when I'm working from home because I know I'll get the job done in an efficient, peaceful manner. So let's, let's talk about that for a minute because that's actually one of the detriments to having a largely remote workforce. It's not detriment to the company. Right. It's a detriment to work-life balance. I mean, I work from my home in central time. I work with a bunch of people who live in Pacific time. There are often many times when I am on the phone at 6.30 p.m. at night because it's still not closing time in the Pacific time zone, and my wife is constantly asking me, can you not do that tomorrow? I'm like, well, it's technically not done with today yet here, and that's a problem with remote work. Now, I don't know if that's specific to the fact that we work across multiple different regions, <clears throat> but if you're talking about really, truly remotely working, whether it's you know working for a large company or working for a small firm, you have to think about that time zone balance for the people who are your customers. Is that something that could be more likely to cause people to want to be in an office? It doesn't change. How so? If you ha if, even if you're reporting into an office, let's say, on the East Coast, and you're doing work with people on the West, West Coast, somehow you're going to have to talk to them. And if you are doing commute, you end up doing it in the car where hopefully at least half of your brain is focused on the conversation, on driving rather than on the phone conversation. That's true. I agree with that. Uh, you know, being in IT, there's often times where, you know, your, your day may technically end at, you know, 5, 530, whatever, but something comes up and, and you get the call and you got to fix it. Yeah. And you take comp time. So, um, or at least with a... <laughs> With the appropriate employer, and assuming you're not inundated at work, you uh, get to schedule around things, and so maybe you can be, manage to be there in the morning for your kids or whatever. Um, another factor that I think factors in is, factor, factor, um, <laughs> is commute time. Uh -huh. And this has kind of been being driven by what I call the affordability radius, the distance from a city that you have to uh, measure it in hours of commute, mm -hmm. where you can afford to buy housing. And the, but it's getting worse. The traffic density is increasing to the point where it, I suspect it's already non-viable. In the New York City area where I grew up, I've just been kind of watching it over the years. And I think the uh, affordability radius is about two and a half hours out now. Mm -hmm. And people live their life on the train or whatever. Yeah, and that's actually a huge problem here in the Bay Area as well, uh -huh. because the ability for you to find housing in a, in a population dense area is practically impossible. The number of people that are having to move to South Bay to be able to buy a place to live and then they commute up the Caltrain every day to get into San Francisco. My old job, I had to drive half an hour every morning and I had to factor commute time into everything. And it was kind of a pain in the neck, but I really also didn't have a whole lot of other places that I could work. So there's a cost associated with that because your office is expensive if you're in dense urban real estate. Mm -hmm. Your staff has to be comped so they can afford the housing. 
-hmm. So we recently, I interviewed somebody whose rent in San Francisco was 3600 a month, and he'd just been informed by his landlord it was going to double. Wow. And he realized, hey, I can buy one heck of a house on the East Coast for that money. That's true. Al? For me personally, commute time is very, very important. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it, it does provide a balance. It gives you an improved quality of life. Um, there have been occasions where I've been offered positions in the D.C. metro area. And the first thing I look at is where it's located. Mm -hmm. And then I think to myself, 45 minutes on a good day. On a good day. And uh, Pete can relate to this. Traffic in our area is not the greatest. Yeah, that's true. I'll tell you that my average commute time is about five minutes, depending on whether or not I have to put on pants every morning. But, um, TMI. I know, right? But, but on the flip side of that is, you know, I have to get up and motivate myself to go to work because I don't have to get up and leave at a specific time in order to make it into the office to get work done or have phone calls or things like that. So there's, there's a lot of things that go into that. I want to go back and touch on one thing that we kind of discussed about, you know, the companies that are using big uh, office uh, perks to get people to come in. One of the other perks of having an office is a conference room. I mean, we're here in a conference room. We're the only people in this conference room, and we can have a meeting without having to scream over the top of a television or kids or pets or anything else. That's a problem for remote workers. Um, and as we've seen, you know, with some videos that are, have been posted on the internet, what do you do when you're interviewing someone on the BBC and your kid comes in and wants a snack or something like that? That's not something you really have to worry about in an office. Are the facilities in an office a draw to get people to want to come in to do work kind of away from home? Well, what I see right now in the large offices I've been in with, that are doing hoteling or assigned desks is they're typically office plan and people can't get into a private room for taking a call. Conference rooms are overbooked and undersized. Um, I think there is an advantage to meeting, definitely advantage to meeting people um, in large rooms and having face-to-face -face meetings, but maybe they could be more deliberate acts. That's true. I mean, I, I for one, you know, the, the amount of conference room time that gets booked in large organizations could probably be cut in half just if we get rid of the number of meetings that need to happen. But I also think that if you've got a big, nice conference room, why not use it? I also have to say virtual reality. If you have virtual reality where you perceive that you're in a large room and it actually works. Do I have to put on the really funny headset <laughs> in order to make that happen? Did you say Google glasses? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but larger. Exactly. <laughs> Google goggles. Yeah. I was just going to add, and you, you, know, you mentioned meeting upon meeting upon meeting. Sometimes that can have a negative effect, mm -hmm. you know, in-person meetings. For me personally, I would prefer a remote meeting, you know, using a technology like Zoom or WebEx and so on and so forth. So video is a huge thing that we yeah. haven't really talked about. I mean, that was, that was Cisco's stalking horse for years was WebEx is going to change the way that we do meetings. Yeah. I could argue that, yes, it has. But I also know that whenever I start a WebEx meeting, first thing I do is mute my camera. Because quite honestly, I don't want to be on camera. The way that I act when I'm on camera is way different than I, I'm, if I'm just on an audio conference. So is video really the solution to this face-to-face -face meeting thing that would help us get rid of offices, or is video just kind of a thing that's there? I was going to answer that it makes it too easy to have meetings, and then you have meet meaningless meetings, but they happened even before. Mm -hmm. I think the, my personal preference is for people to do their homework before a meeting, get the deliverable out to people and give them adequate time to review it, and you have a short, focused meeting of, say, 15 minutes, not an hour, not a half hour. I would argue that uh, the remote worker actually causes meetings to be shorter, because if you have to give them an agenda before you start, you've already had to do your homework 
You've seen agendas? Yes, I have, uh, <laughs> mostly because I have to create them for my meetings. But you know, then there's also the stand-up meeting where nobody has any chairs. And when your feet get tired, it's time to get in the meeting. So we touched, on, we touched on this in the beginning, but uh, uh, one of the major aspects of remote work then, to me, boils down to you know, what, what's the overall business process. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of companies, um, even though we, you know, we would all love to work remotely all the time, I think a lot of companies don't have any sort of established business process for that. That's true. And for a lot of companies that have no concept of the idea of what happens when a person doesn't work in that chair, they have to think about those processes. They have to think about how things are handled and how communications works. And what do I do if I need to get hold of this person and they're out? I mean, but on the flip side, you also have companies that are starting to do things like unlimited PTO. And so basically, I can work from home as much as I want. Now, the idea behind that, of course, is to get rid of things like comp time or being able to pay you out for your PTO that's accrued that you've never used. Yeah, there are arguments on both sides of that one. But, but is that a sticky <laughs> wicket as well? Do it, is it worth losing accrued benefits like that in favor of being able to work remotely? Or are those two completely separate discussions? Well, there is a cultural change lurking there because a lot of shops still have what I call the time cart mentality. If I want to see your butt at your desk for eight hours, Mm -hmm. so I can, and that's somehow equated with productivity. Of course, even though we both know that most of the time people's butts are in seats for eight hours, they're not really productive for (laughs) all eight of those hours. But at least I can come by and make sure you're productive. What you just described, a fellow colleague used to call it the Kodak moment. I just saw you in the office. You've been here. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And, and, and in my old job where I had to travel a lot, there were many mornings I would go to the office to wave at my boss, yep. and then I would go where I needed to go. Did it add time to my commute? Yes, but at least he got to see me. Right. And the funny thing is, is that for a company that I used to work for that did a lot of resale work where I was gone on the road almost every day, they still wanted to see me in the office when I didn't have an appointment. Mm-hmm. And I, I argued with them for a long time. I'm like, it would actually increase my productivity if I didn't have to drive to the office every day to warm the chair at my desk. And they still wanted to see me. Mm-hmm. What I've noticed at some uh, consulting uh, visits that shall remain nameless is that the people that were on the time clock sometimes became very good at becoming invisible and unaccountable. <laughs> so they'd show up be visible, and then they'd, oh, I have to go out to a work site. Mm-hmm. But maybe it took them two hours to get a 15-minute trip in because oh, they made a detour by Starbucks and three other things. <laughs> and not only that, but I, one of the places that I used to work, the owner would call the office phone at five minutes to five every day to see who answered. Yeah. Oh, boy. And if it wasn't <laughs> the person who was supposed to answer, he wanted to see calendars, he wanted to see PTO requests, he wanted to make sure that the person who was supposed to be there was gone for a good reason. And I mean, that kind of micromanagement is obviously one of the, the benefits of not working from an office is you don't have somebody literally standing over you doing Kodak moments. Yeah. But is that just breeding bad managers then? It breaks trust. But there's, there's two sides to every story. Oh, there is. Yeah, yeah. I've seen people abuse yep. trust. So. Yeah, yeah. And, and, that, and that's the thing with remote work is you kind of have to build up that, that idea that... Mm. You know, I can be trustworthy enough to get this done. Because let's face it, if if we if the premise of this episode is absolutely true, that in five to ten years, that what we consider to be a traditional office, kind of like the one we're sitting in right now, goes away, that's a huge problem for real estate. I mean, a whole bunch of offices sitting empty. I mean, I yeah, maybe we could turn this into an apartment complex or something like that. But that kind of generational shift is not something that you can get back easily. 
if all of your offices are closing, kind of like the, the issues that you have when large companies like IBM or Dell start shutting down some of their out buildings, or here in Silicon Valley, Cisco has sold a lot of their old original buildings to the stadium, the stadium yeah. you can't buy those back. So that's a problem if all of a sudden you have an influx of workers that need office space. You, you can't just build a building overnight. You can't grow a building. And so, you know, is are maybe the reason why people are hesitant to do this because they're afraid that they're going to get caught with their pants down uh, figuratively? Yeah, so there may be retain some sort of core because you're going to want meeting rooms of various sizes to have physical meetings, maybe more flexible space rather than permanently cast, don't know. Um, probably end up being some sort of balance and some companies doing different things because of cultural differences, workforce differences. So I don't see it imploding the office real estate market, although I don't know how sensitive it is to um, margin. You know, if you free up 20% of the space, does that drive the pricing through the floor? Mm. Or does it drive the pricing through the roof? Because, well, now, yeah. it, now I can rent that out to somebody else to do something else and so it becomes a premium if you need good office space. Yeah, and it may, it may just be that as things evolve, there'll be more creative solutions. So one of the things I've been reading about the hollowing out of, of malls is that some of the mall firms have realized that, oh, if we can get permission to put in, say, a high-rise apartment building and put in some restaurants and service-type shops, now we've got a captive audience, we've got parking, right. and so we can repurpose the real estate by sort of building in demand. Right. And if you can make it a transit center, that's another thing that causes people to be there. Mm -hmm. That kind of thing. Yeah, and malls are a perfectly good example of what happens when good real estate starts going by the wayside. Um, there's a mall where I live that has changed hands about six times, and they can't keep people in there because it used to be a destination. And because of the shifting patterns of the way that people buy things, you can't put anything in there anymore. All right, so what do we think about this premise, gentlemen? Our office is going to go away in five to ten years, Pete? They'll shrink a bit, a good bit. Shrink a bit, Jed? Um, I think maybe, maybe eventually, but I don't believe within five to ten years. Okay, that's fair. Al. I think it'll take some time to Pete's point. Uh, I think eventually it will happen, but also I think it depends on the type of business. Yeah, type of business is important. Now, obviously, for those of us who work in IT, we spend a lot of our time working on trouble tickets and working with customers and things like that. But if you work in a place like a hospital or a or a fire department, those places aren't going to go away anytime soon. So if you're watching this episode and you're a service worker or something like that, we really empathize with you because your office probably isn't going to go away. But the important thing is, is that we're still going to need you whenever we're sitting at home trying to get that last email sent before we close the thing down and go hang out with the kids. And, you know, maybe it'll make the world a better place if a few more of us work from home. Who knows? Thank you for joining us today on the On-Premise IT Roundtable. You can always check out the latest episode of this podcast if you head over to our website, gestaltit.com slash podcast. We have a lot of great episodes there, so if you want to take a listen, um, you can also catch us in your favorite podcast application of choice or on iTunes. And if you're over at iTunes, please give us a rating and a like because we really appreciate that, and that helps people find the podcast and enjoy great episodes like this. So for the three guests around the table, for myself, Tom Hollingsworth, and the rest of the staff here at Gestalt IT, I wish you a fond adieu, and thanks for listening.